Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi everyone, welcome to Dinosaur's History. This week, 80 years ago, it was all happening. The Dunkirk evacuation was in full swing. The so-called miracle of Dunkirk, when British naval vessels and small ships from all across southern and eastern England gathered to lift an entrapped British and French army off the north French coast around the port of Dunkirk. It was all this week. We've been running podcasts about it. We've had Josh Levine talking about Dunkirk. He was the historical advisor to the recent Christopher Nolan film. We've had Guy Bowman talking about a group of Indian Muslim soldiers who found themselves caught up in the evacuation. And today we're going to reprise an old episode from a couple of years ago on this podcast when I accepted the invitation of the wonderful Ian Gilbert, who is in charge of the Little Ships Association. He's one of the key people keeping the memory of Dunkirk alive and keeping the ships that took part in that evacuation, keeping them afloat and with good owners and in good condition. I accepted an invitation. I went down to the River Thames at Windsor and we went for a little trip on some of the little ships. And I met some veterans as well. I met Edward Oates, who you're going to hear from, William Matthews, Stanley Chapel, Arthur Taylor. Sadly, William and Arthur are now deceased. It was only a couple of years ago that I was lucky enough to meet them and hear their stories. In this episode, you'll hear from all of those people, you'll hear memories of what it was like on the beach and what it was like coming back in the little ships 80 years ago. Sadly, every five years, all the little ships that are still able to go back to Dunkirk, and I've made that journey twice with them now. We're meant to do it again this year, but it's been rescheduled for next year. History Hit will be there. We'll be filming. We'll be podcasting. We'll be live streaming. We'll be on drones. We'll be doing the whole thing. So look forward to doing that. If you like listening to these back episodes of the podcast, they're only available on History Hit TV. It's like Netflix for history. There's hundreds of documentaries, but there's also lots of back episodes of the podcast exclusively available there. We really appreciate your support. It's what keeps us all going. You guys are subscribing to History Hit and you're making it possible for us to go on making all this content and we're getting better and more ambitious all the time. If you use the code POD1, P-O-D-1, you get a month for free and then you get one month for just one pound, euro or dollar. We've got a new film up about Dunkirk. We've got a film about the fall of France coming. We've got stuff about the Titanic coming and about global pandemics. We're in full flow, even though we're operating under lockdown conditions. But thank you to everyone for your support. Enjoy this episode about the little ships and the men they rescued. I'm so lucky to be sat here now. I think it's fantastic to see this lovely smiling Berkshire countryside with the, the Thames so placid and the cerulean sky. 
I'm so so lucky. Did you think you'd be you'd be seeing this ever again when you're on the beaches of Dunkirk back in 1940? Uh, there are many occasions in the first world war in the second world war when I didn't think I might live the next second let alone 10 years or 20 years or 30 years I thought I was highly likely not to live very long I've seen the bombs coming down like pebbles out of the sky from Stukas diving on us and the next second I thought this one's coming and then it would veer off and my f- mouth would be full of f- full of uh, um, tingling sensation by the enzymes that were floating around my body and uh, I really thought I wasn't going to live very long and that has been replicated on many occasions in that war so I'm so so lucky so lucky when so many of my friends didn't make it and uh, how did you come to be in Dunkirk did you have to walk back there my battery El Neri battery was supporting the third division of Brigadier Montgomery who later uh, who later led the first battle of the Second World War for us to win uh, at uh, uh, and uh, uh, we retreated and I remember looking up into the sky and seeing the whole German Air Force the Luftwaffe thousands and thousands of planes droning on and they were so lucky not to pay us any any attention. They were going off to bomb Dunkirk and the the, the, the ports, the French ports, and so we retre- retreated. Yes, and uh, we um, to cut a long story short, very very short, we finished up on a hilltop called Monde Shah, which was fifty or sixty miles away from. Uh, uh, east of Dunkirk and we had one gun left I wasn't a gunner in those days I was a I was gunner, gunnery officer's assistant but I watched our last gun firing over open sights at the Germans who were down below about a thousand yards away I should say and um and then the order came that we were to destroy our, destroy our guns and make our way to Dunkirk, where the Navy would pick us up. So our last gun was destroyed by putting a shell, a shell up the breech and one down the muzzle and then and detonating it and blew the gun up. And then... We come under very heavy fire, and I remember getting up onto the main road and seeing a truck come by, and Trevor Luff, a friend of mine, 
was said jump and I jumped onto to it and that was the last road out before being sealed off by the German army and we made our, our way until some measurements decided to pay us attention and came straffing the road and the road was blocked up with uh, refugees and of all kinds and sorts of descriptions and we just dived into the ditches and um, when they'd gone uh, we were left walking but then a section of of um, a, a section of French cavalry came by and they were leading quite a lot of horses and being an ex royal horse artillery man I, I signalled could I could I ride one of the horses and they said yes so I, I jumped on a horse and my friend Bert Reed jumped on a, a horse as well and uh, we rode along with the uh, cavalry for about 20 miles I suppose and then they decided to switch off and go south and we wanted to go continue going west and northwest so we said thanks very much and handed back the reins and we were left walking but then I noticed there was, there was a nice uh, motorbike in a courtyard and uh, I looked into there was petrol in the tank so I took the carburetor and started out and it worked perfectly so I said jump on the pillion Bert and then we rode on for quite some time on this motorbike but then we came across a crossroad that was coming, coming under heavy enemy fire but it was a bit intermittent but I didn't like the look of, of, of crossing that crossroads because I'd read, I'd read a book uh, uh, where people had to do that sort of thing and it, it didn't end very nicely. So at any rate, I looked in the carburetor and it was nearly empty, so I said to Bert, we'll have to walk on from now. And so we did. We went across the open fields and I had a, a map, which was a print out of the Daily Mirror, and we did a bit of orienteering with this. And eventually, we came to Dunkirk, which was in the evening. And we, you, you didn't need a map to get to Dunkirk because the columns of smoke were going sky high here and it was just a question of following that and uh, by, by the time we got into Dunkirk all the bombing had stopped because it was night time and we made our way down onto the beach and there we saw hundreds of bodies laying out with with them uh, with the uh, blankets over them so I really thought surely they aren't all dead and then suddenly uh, one, one of the blankets was 
pulled back and a voice said, what's the time, mate? It was uh, members of the Guards Brigade and, and they were having a, a good old doze. Uh, so we walked on and eventually came to the, the dunes. The next day, it was absolutely... We tried to, to... There were people queuing into queues to be taken off, but we were very unlucky. We couldn't get out, couldn't, couldn't be taken off. And it became more hazardous by the hour because um, the debris was so dense that uh, motor boats who had propellers daren't come in or the propellers would get enmeshed in the rubbish that was littering the surface of the sea so I said I said to uh, I said to my friend I said I said uh, I said I'll tell you what we're going to do we're going to build a raft to get to to ferry us out beyond this uh, hundred or two hundred yards of rubbish and then we get picked up. <clears throat> so he said, OK. So we set to work and we built a raft and nobody bothered to say, what are you doing or anything? And <clears throat> the problem was we didn't have nails or a hammer, so most of it we had to t tie, tie it together, tie them together with ropes that, we, ropes that we'd find lying around. So we built this raft and then we found it was so heavy we couldn't push it for love to money. And it was about three or four yards uh, off the beach, off the water. So I said, so I looked around and I saw under the, uh, under the sea wall was a, um, was a Brengan carrier. So I, it was about 250 yards away. So I went over to it, jumped in, pressed the key and plop, it bursted to life right away, no problem. So I drove it back around, positioned it in front of the raft, we tied it on and I said, now, I said, I said when, I, when I go out, give me the yell when it's floating and, uh, and I'll cut, cut the engine. So I drove the brown gun carrier into the water and until I couldn't drive it any further, and it was, the water it went on for a long time, um, even though it was underwater, which was amazing, really. But uh, when it finally stopped, and, and I looked around, the, the raft was floating beautifully. So we cut it, cut it free, and we put all our put our clothes onto the raft, and then we pushed it out through the debris and paddled it out, oh, I should say three or four hundred yards until we were clear of all the rubbish. But by that time, the water, be, the wind had been getting up and a swell began to break and uh, the raft being built out of spars with rope they all became loose and gradually they floated away and we were left swimming in the water and I swam around 
and the place was covered with oil from sunken ships and from their tanks. And then the next thing I knew, there was a, a, a big motorboat had pulled in and they were pulling me into the, into the boat. They pulled me into the boat and as soon as I was into the boat, they shot off out to a, a large mother boat that had been anchored about uh, about a kilometre off, out of range of the Messerschmitts and the, and the Stukas that were bombing it at the time. And uh, I walked up the uh, slanting uh, bridge, uh, the walkway onto the ship and somebody gave me an overcoat and uh, that was how I left Dunkirk. What was it like getting home? Brilliant. It was marvellous. I, I, I had a rate, uh, I, uh, I was, I, I hadn't had any food for some time because uh, the uh, food was a bit scarce to come by on, <laughs> and uh, so I, 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 uh, I uh, sort of uh, uh, sat down, and they brought me a lovely mug of navy cocoa, and that was one of the best drinks I've ever had in my life. It was gorgeous. I really was like nectar. And then the next thing I knew was somebody saying, pull on this rope. That was pulling the anchors up and pulling the boats on, to, on because they, they were fearing of being sunk any moment by, by the planes coming over. So that's how I left Dunkirk. And of course I went to sleep and the next thing I knew was it was it Margate, wasn't it? Yeah, it Margate, not Ramsgate, Margate. And what's your name? Edward Oates. How old are you, sir? Ninety-seven. And what were you doing in, in uh, May and June of 1940? May and June. Waiting for a boat, I think. <laughs> Hi, I'm Matt Lewis, historian and host of a new chapter of the Echoes of History podcast. If you're an Assassin's Creed fan, and like me want to be prepared for the launch of Assassin's Creed Shadows later this year, join us on Echoes of History as we head to feudal Japan to explore the real-life history that inspired the latest game from this legendary franchise. Learn about Yasuke, the African warrior who entered the trusted circle of Japan's most powerful warlord. Hear accounts of cultures colliding when Portuguese missionaries landed on Japanese shores, and followed Japan's journey through years of division and bitter warfare to unification at the dawn of the modern era. Make sure you catch every episode by following Echoes of History, a Ubisoft podcast brought to you by History Hit, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. 
That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. So you were with the BF. What unit were you in? I was in the 9th Army Field Workshop, REOC. And how long were you waiting in that perimeter before you got off the beach? It was five or six days, I think it was. I don't remember just exactly how long. So we were all we were doing looking for food. And what do you remember about those days? Not a lot. The, I've got all the photographs, so I, I, I see the photographs and that brings some of it back. Were you on the mole waiting to get evacuated or were you on the beach? On the beach, at Bray Dunes. And then we walked from Bray Dunes into Dunkirk eventually, after a few days when we weren't getting away. And was it well organised or were things getting a little ragged by that stage? I don't know. I was so worried as far as I got off. And so in the end, did you, did you get off on a naval ship or one of the little ships? One of the little ships, yes. So did you, you wade it out to sea or how did it work? No, well, we walked into Dunkirk and got on, on the docks. So I didn't have to go in, wade into the sea. We did wade into the sea before. We never managed to get on anything. So we had to come back to the beach, but eventually, um, when we got into Dunkirk, we got on the boat. But I tell you what, my boots polished up ever so shiny because they'd been in the seawater <laughs> thoroughly wet for days. And how many of you were on one of these little boats? I don't know. Was it packed? Fairly, yes. He, he took as many as he could. Did you think, this is it, we must have lost the war, or did you think you'd be back in Europe soon to take on Hitler? I didn't think anything about it. I was worried about getting off. And what was it like getting home? It was all right. You must have been happy, though, seeing Kent. It was happy enough, yeah. On the crossing, was there any danger from German aircraft or or any of that? I was asleep. And when I woke up, it was grey, misty dawn, and we finished up in Folkestone. And that's all I remember of it. What did you do for the rest of the war? The Middle East. I was in army workshops, field workshops. What does it mean coming back here, seeing all these boats alongside today? Do you, do you love coming back and, and seeing these and meeting up with some of your old comrades? Yeah, if I see any of them, but there are not many of them left now. I think there's only me and George in our Dunkirk club that we're in. All the others are supporters.
Oh, hangers on. <laughs> so what's your name, sir? William Matthews, Bill for friends. Well, Bill, if I may, uh, what, were you, what were you doing at Dunkirk? Were you an infantryman? Infantryman? I was setting up in the sand hills. We come off the beach, went back in the sand hills at the side of the beach for safety. And why was that? Was it artillery or, or German air attacks that were the problem? It was the Stukas. And uh, then they could see us. So I, I had a stomach like a little white billiard ball. And uh, Nobby Clark beside me said, I told you not to upset him, he said. And they rocket down. I come straight down, and then as I turn, saw the machine gun the beach. But there's been worse things than when when we got there. I come from Brussels to get down there, and while we're in Brussels, we found some papers. If you I waved them to somebody, they would take you prisoner, lie down your arms, and you go back because all the regiments have moved back but they left a couple of platoons of guys to keep an eye on the people down there and report back and the Warwickshire Regiment there was 88 blokes they went over with them and gave in and our sergeant said, any of you think of giving in it? He said, you've got to go through me. Anyway, we moved from Brussels across country to get to the seaside. And we found out afterwards that they executed the 88 Warwicks. Uh, and when we got back home and told them, Oh, look, the war is over now. Don't want to worry about things like that. And so it's like we've been striped trousers, isn't it? So what was it like being under German air attack? Was, it, was Did you feel completely helpless? Yeah, we, we couldn't do anything. I, I had my face in the sand. And little, instead of having a stomach, it was like a billion ball. Were you hungry as well and tired? Well, I... Uh, Two days we'd been on the road and we had no food. And uh, then the Ben McCree, that's an all-a-man steamer, came in and he came in the groin side. The groin side, the water was deep. But this side, the water went out about a mile. And uh, she backed into there. We got aboard her and... They grabbed you by your equipment and held you and sling you aboard. I woke up in Folkestone and uh, I, I don't know where I was. I, I know there were, there were thousands of chaps there and then big marquee, thousands of new Dixies. I went and got two dinners and I ate them. And when I finished those two, I had a couple of puddings and all. And when, that was Saturday night, half past eight. 
and next minute somebody's kicking me and it's the sergeant said on your feet it was Sunday half past twelve <laughs> slept out, out oh sorry out on the grass all night and the regiment had gone down to uh, Somerset when you were in Dunkirk hiding, how long were you hiding in those sand dunes in Dunkirk, waiting for a ride off that beach? Oh, day and a half. We, we were so disappointed in one, one, one place. We'd come along and we'd been told we were going to a place called Dunkirk. So you'd be all right, seaport. we come round the corner and there was the Normandy ship blazing from stem to stern we said we were here we weren't when we got near it it, it was brick built <laughs> it was a hotel <laughs> so we give that the bounce and then we still carried on down the road and you'd walked all retreating all the way were you were you disillusioned were you feeling down or did you keep your spirits up Oh no, uh, Clark and the rest of them, and honey, they, um, come on, math, pick your feet up. And for two days we walked down the outside because we had to get from Brussels. But we didn't know at the time that we were going the wrong way. The Germans had come in the Brussels and they were, were, we was in the palace. And a Frenchman come over, he said that the the Germans are coming through there. So we said, let's get out of it then. (laughs) There's no no idea. They had tanks. There was 31 of us and there was big tanks. And I carried an anti-tank rifle, uh, bullets that long, and I'm supposed to lay out in the middle of the road, and as the tank comes towards me, line him up, and then fire at him. That, that's the the point of the gun. It wouldn't, there was a, a boat like this laying on its side, smoking all over everywhere. So the, the COE said, sink that bloody thing. And he fired. They ricocheted off. It bounced off. <laughs> yeah. He said, give me the gun. And he slung it. And at that moment, I was standing by Captain Ricketts and he gave, there's a big bang, a couple of big bangs near us and he went down and I looked at him. When I went down, he got a wicked wound out here. So I grabbed him and told the other blokes and they hauled him on his feet and he got dirt, all tufts of grass there. And we can only imagine that it was a, 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 well, we don't know what it was, really. And we took him to um, the base where they got all this. They said, leave him with us. 
we'll take care of them. And we went back. And then afterwards, when I was at the Star and Garter, went up there to a do. He was standing over there. And I walked over. And he said, don't I know you? I said, yeah, I'm the bloke who, me and the two others are taking us to the hospital and he's got over. But then everybody moved out. So we didn't know what happened to him. And he was back in England then. And uh, there he was alive. You saved his life. No, I wouldn't say that. Uh, uh, somebody would have found him. And uh, but what do you remember from those sand dunes? Was, was the, were there dead and wounded lying around in those sand dunes from the, from the air attacks? Oh, there's quite a lot. Uh, those air attacks, when those stuckers come down, straight down there, and when you look up, you can see the green bomb fall away and you get deeper in the, in the dirt. I wish I was a mole so I could dig a hole or a white billiard ball down here with a stomach. Carl, he said to me, We've been upset this lot like we have. Because <laughs> then, they, once they come out the dive, they machine gun. But they were doing the beach, most of the beach. But we was up the shelf part where the long grass was. And was it every man for himself, or were men still obeying their officers and were still the military discipline? Oh, we did what the sergeant said. Captain Bro uh, Lieutenant Brooks Fox was a lieutenant of our platoon. And whenever he did anything, he used to say, the sergeant and I, the sergeant 34, we're going to do so-and-so. So you, whatever the sergeant said, we did it. And how did you get off the beach? The... On, on the horizon, the, the water, there's a, a long groin, and one side of the groin, the water went out about six feet all the way out. Big boats couldn't get in. So I had hundreds of little boats coming in. But I didn't fancy wading out of my dress like, and uh, you can't run anywhere in the water. So the sergeant said, let's get back in the, on the top of the beach in the sand dunes with the long grass. And when they must have seen us, they dropped a couple, but they nowhere near us. And it just, it's just sand goes up in the air, terrific noise. Frightens the dad out, it does. You've got a gun, like a white billiard ball, and I wish I was a mole. And Lee Carker, he turns around and says, We've upset him, mate. He said, We've asked for this. <laughs> and then, um, so when did you, well, how, which boat did you eventually manage to get off the beach on? Ben McCree. The Ben McCree. It was an Isle Man uh, steamer. There's eight of them, and this was one of them.
plane was a bit noisy, sorry. Uh, so I'll, can I ask that again, because the plane was a bit noisy. So what, what boat did you get off the beach on? Ben McCree. Ben my Cree. And after the war, I wrote to the Isle of Man's first name and said thank you very much. And they sent me a booklet and first class stabs and all stuff like that. Yeah. So you got off on one of the little the little ships of Dunkirk? Yeah, yeah. Well, you'd say it was a little ship. It, it was big to me. And how were there guys packed in their standing room only? I, I don't know. I started climbing up the side and then Matt Lowe leaned over, grabbed me by the equipment, heaved me in and the next one. And I'll, on the deck I went and uh, I woke up in Folkestone. <laughs> That's all, all I know of the crossing. We, we'd been on the road like, all the way from Brussels. We, we didn't, there was no food and everything like that. We just kept going. And the, the sergeant, he kept us going. No, nobody ran or anything like that. He used to walk up and down. He must have done it twice. <laughs> yes, I did. But Brooke Fox... So he'd walk up and down the unit making sure everyone was... Yeah. And terrible barbers at Monte Casino. Brooke Fox was the first bloke killed. They, he took a a unit out and uh, walked into a net trap. Yeah, that was brought for... Uh, he was a captain then. Well, thank you very much. Have a great day today. <laughs> I will. <laughs> so we're underway now. We're pottering along the River Thames on a nice sunny day in June. It's hard to imagine. You've taken us across the channel, though. I mean, it's a different challenge, isn't it? Yeah, indeed. Um, this is uh, proper pleasure boating. Um, pr present company accepted, of course. Um, no, it's a beautiful day at Windsor, and uh, the water's flat. Uh, completely different to the experience of crossing the channel, um, where uh, in a 26-foot boat, it... Uh, well, put it this way, we wouldn't do it for pleasure, probably. Uh, only if we needed to. What's interesting is every time one of us moves from one side of the boat to the other, the whole boat moves. So I don't quite know how that works with a load of soldiers on board in rough channel conditions. Yeah, indeed. And I don't think anybody would want to cross the channel with a load of soldiers on under any circumstances. Certainly uh, when Firefly was at Dunkirk, um, we had uh, a, an eyewitness account of the first thing that the skipper did, uh, having loaded the boat up with men, and there was only five or six on board, for a shuttle run out to HMS Anthony, first thing he did was level them all up and uh, order them around and get them in the right place because uh, it just makes it incredibly uncomfortable. Um, you lean in and the boat doesn't go in a straight line and it's uh, it's, it's not pleasant. Um, she's very uh, very sensitive to the way she's loaded. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. Just before you go, bit of a favour to ask. I totally understand if you don't want to become a subscriber or pay me any cash money. 
makes sense. But if you could just do me a favor, it's for free. Go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. If you give it a five-star rating and give it an absolutely glowing review, purge yourself, give it a glowing review. I'd really appreciate that. It's tough world out there. Law of the jungle out there. And I need all the fire support I can get. So that will boost it up the charts. It's so tiresome. But if you could do it, I'd be very, very grateful. Thank you. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dan Snow's History. Please follow this show wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us, and you'll be doing us a big favour. Don't forget, you can also listen to all of these podcasts ad-free and watch hundreds of TV documentaries when you subscribe at historyhit.com slash subscribe as a special gift. You can also get your first three months for just £1 a month when you use code DANSNOW at checkout.